This is Tony Silva. And Charles Wiz. And this is Two Teachers Talking, episode 42. Uh, Charles and I get together and talk about teaching, uh, teaching English in Japan. Things that uh, we find have worked for us, things that have blown up in our faces. And today, we're talking about uh, the bully pulpit of the, uh, the teacher at the front of the classroom and uh, what to do with that. Um, how do we... Uh, gauge and measure and control uh, our own personal values, our cultural values, and how much should we and how much shouldn't we? Um, kind of a big, slippery ball of wax. Hey, what does bully puppet mean? Glad you asked, because I did my homework. You, uh, it's t- Teddy, 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 right? And it, it, the bully is um, not what the, we uh, think it contemporary is. sense, but it is the uh, the old British sense of being good. Like bully, bully on you, bully, right? Bully on you, yeah, right. And the bully pulpit means you had an advantageous position. You're in a position where you have the advantage of reaching a large audience and exerting a certain amount of influence, as we do in the front of the classroom, and maybe especially in Japan, with yes. the you know the sensei having that uh, extra cachet, that extra bit of status, and yeah, you you know you are the sensei, therefore what you say is law right and it is cachet not cash (laughs) (laughs) which has been flushed my cash has been we we have the cachet but we don't have it the cash right Mm. so okay so what do we do with that bully puppet it's a slippery topic isn't it very very but we need to get that issue the elephant in the room out of the way which is we're not going to talk about the purpose of education today yeah, we're not going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to avoid that and skip that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I mean, you get you got the heavies, right? I mean, you get um, opinions all over the place. You've got, you know, John Stuart Mill, whose idea about education was it, it was key to that was moral instruction. You know, the government using ed, you know, education should be for moral instruction and for creating moral, enlightened uh, citizens for the benefit uh, of. The society, the society, right? But than moral, the but moral education was a key part of it. Utilitarian, and then you've got yeah, and then you got uh, John um, Henry Cardinal Newman, um, who you know, I, I, ironically, is just uh, kind of in the other direction. Even though he was uh, a Catholic cardinal, um, talks about um, the university just being a, a place of teaching universal knowledge, and not favoring one form of knowledge or one slant on it over another, totally ab- about scientific and philosophical discovery. That seems really sane and logical and reasonable and rational, but we're not going to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> what we are going to address is the question again of what and how much and how far can a teacher go with basically i think their personal opinions values and beliefs and expressing them in the classroom sharing them with students and we want to differentiate between sharing and expressing them and then exploiting that opportunity i think big big distinction because um and it's clear for us i think but for some other people maybe not so right right and and i think one of the things that makes this a really difficult topic is that um, and I think for a large part, you and I kind of agree and have some basis. This is the key. The basic assumptions are the same, but those are not universal. And a lot of people don't share those basic assumptions, you know, about the idea of what, again, what the role of the teacher is and how much 
our own values should be part of it. I think you and I are probably pretty close with that. Um, but with all the inherent contradictions within that statement, <laughs> right? No, but that that's exactly that's Where exactly the problem. We'll get to that's that. That's what makes it right. hard. But yeah, I mean, to to make it to make it concrete, you know, and seasonal. Um, what do I say about Christmas in the classroom? Well, it's, I mean, a very small, concrete classroom in Japan, a non-Christian country, bombarded with a twisted, ultra-commercial <laughs> vision of Christmas, which sometimes still gets confused with Halloween. Um, that, was, that was a good adjective <laughs> string there. <laughs> how do I, how do I, as a, as a, as, a, as an English teacher, present the necessary cultural elements of the holiday? required for you know comprehension of a of a student of english without you know getting involved with the religious versus secular aspect of christmas um my own background whatever it might be whether it's jew muslim or a christian um what am i what do i do (laughs) and that that's i think we can wrestle i don't know if we're going to answer that question but we can wrestle with it well, what do you do? Instead of asking it as what, what should we do, right? Let's take a look mm. at how you approach it and how I approach it. Mm. And how also let's look at whether or not that's changed over time. Because we've both been here a long time. And I remember that when I first got here, this is just a aside. And this is going to give a clear idea of my opinion about the whole Christmas and the commercialization of Christmas. One of the nice things about being in Japan early on was that there was no Christmas music in stores there was an absence <clears throat> of all the music and all the trappings of christmas and i kind of found that to be a little bit pleasant personally because by the time i had left the united states it had reached this real commercialized level and everywhere you went and everything was geared towards buying presents and things so well, it's a, yeah certainly it has the, changed. the density and the omnipresence of, of that kind of thing in the states can be yeah it's numbing and, but it's, and it's then irritating. It's getting to that level here now. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, the last yeah, five yes, years, I think, has seen an explosion in Christmas, kind of the music and the presence of Christmas. Just like this year, I was surprised at how popular Halloween had become. Mm. Okay, yeah, Halloween a big upswing. But okay, and that that too. How do you how do you deal with that in the classes? So what do you do, Tony? Um, well, specifically with Christmas, I first delineate the the secular and the religious and i try to address um a little bit give a sketch out and refine what i think their perception of the united states as a christian nation is i talk a little bit about uh uh, the very large number of flavors of christianity because they uh, the most students don't have an inkling about what that means, and you know, going from, you know, the, the the the, the Baptists and the Pur you know, the, the Puritans, which are you know, <laughs> apparently, were the fathers of our country, um, to the you know, Protestants and Catholics and all the different mutations in between, uh, and of course the atheists, and uh, talk about that and what it means in terms of the culture. And then talk about Christmas uh, from a secular aspect. And then once I've made that kind of distinction, I pretty much just run with the secular aspect because that's the only part that's making it here for the most part. And um, I talk about, you know, just kind of the sources 
of the symbols of the holiday that we see. We talk, okay, Christmas tree, why a Christmas tree? Santa Claus, why Santa Claus? Uh, the presents on the tree, the stockings over the uh, fireplace. Cultural and of course, icon. nobody has a fireplace here. <laughs> of course not, and they, or a chimney, or or snow for the reindeer. But they, you know, they don't have that problem in Australia. <laughs> Santa comes on a surfboard. But I talk about the the cultural icons, you know, the icons and what the history of them are and what they mean, what they contribute, and kind of weave that together in a way so that when someone says Christmas to them, they have a ideas that okay, there's this religious aspect and there's a secular aspect and these. The secular things, this is, these are the pieces, and this is kind of what it means. And that and that's basically it. Uh, some of the uh, classes request uh, Christmas carols because they like the songs. And I, I oblige. We do like listening exercises with Chris, traditional Christmas carols, not Mariah Carey. Because <laughs> I think there's value in that. <clears throat> and I talk especially about how so many of our Christmas, uh, our English Christmas songs come from World War II and the movies of World War II and explains why so many of those traditional Christmas carols are so sad. Um, so I weave that in, too. Okay. And I try not to mention December 7th. Okay. But don't often succeed. <laughs> so that's what I do. <laughs> You and you, Charles. What do you and do? Me. I basically I've gotten to a point pretty much of getting it down to just like a ten minute chat. Mm-hmm. I used to do a lot of stuff, um, you know, with vocabulary and readings and uh, activities about Christmas. But I basically do what you do, which is um, a brief introduction to how America is such a multicultural country. It's so diverse that. There's so many different ways that this holiday could be celebrated and that for a lot of people, it's not a holiday that they celebrate. And I talk a little bit about how that's impact in the United States where we say now happy holidays rather than mm. Merry Christmas or Happy Hanukkah, et cetera, et cetera. And I leave it for the students to consider it on their own what they think about that. But the major point is to just explain some of the basic traditions. I give the basic story and explain the big difference in Japan between Christmas and in Japan and Christmas in America is that Christmas in America is really a family holiday and Christmas in Japan is really a couple's holiday. Yeah, this is that that's the that's kind of becomes the meat of my same thing. treatment, but I flip yeah, I explain how that those two holidays are kind of flipped where in Japan Shogatsu is the right. family holiday Christmas and they said they do that. And do you mention do you mention um Hanukkah or Kwanzaa at all? Um not too much. Um, or the Druid solstice? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the level of the class. Uh-huh. And how big the class is. Mm-hmm. If for example it's a a class that has a pretty good um, let's say grasp of English, then I'll go into the different kinds of holidays, but I'll also ask them why is it that everybody has New Year's, there's Osho gods here, there's New Year's in America everywhere. And we'll kind of look at a little bit about the solstice mm-hmm, and the exactly. patterns and the real sources of the holidays. And also I try to explain that, for example, on for Christmas, um, nobody's really sure of the exact birth date of Jesus and how... It's kind of an arbitrary day, but again, it seems to be very close to, or as some of the arguments I have heard, 
that very close to, you know, Druid holidays, for example, or other kind of native holidays, because you do have the winter holidays almost everywhere. Of course, longest, yeah. Longest of course, night got, of the year. You got. It, I mean, that's almost. You know, you go back to uh, the um, the bow, the bow, the bow, the golden bow. Right. Um, yeah. That harvest was... harvest festivals and uh, the solstice festivals, and in the spring. That was Sir East... James Fraser, wasn't it? The that's golden right. bow. You had to right. read that. And remember, you sure. had to read that. It was a required reading because you couldn't read. You couldn't read a person with. You couldn't read a. Mo- couldn't you couldn't read, read any modernist literature without that book. Right. Okay. Exactly. So yeah, in spring, Easter, May Day, um, right? Yeah, the, the the spring holidays, the the fall, the harvest fall holidays, the solstice, right. and uh, yeah, sure. So I go through that. We go through that if it's an advanced class or a higher level class, and otherwise, I try to keep it simple because it's too easy for me to start commenting. And here's how we return it to the topic at hand. Good. Yeah. It is that it's really easy for me to get into a whole thing about Christmas as has no meaning anymore because it's turned into this present buying, gift giving thing, and nobody thinks about the message. And when I talk about the message, by the way, I mean, I'm not talking about it from a religious side. I'm just thinking that, um, in the same sense, by the way, we should point out that this is, uh, you know, we're at that point where Nelson Mandela has passed away. And contemplating someone's life, for example, like Nelson Mandela, you know, where you look at what he did and how what he achieved and what kind of person he is and what kind of values it took in the same sense that there's that incredible value of, you know, looking at, you know, the teachings of a prophet. I am not religious, but the ideas of believing in peace, for example, and mercy, et cetera, these all get dismissed or, you know, kind of what? What is it? Swept under the rug? Is is that the expression? Well, they are that, or the the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater. Exactly, and so that's what happens. Is in a certain way, you get the baby thrown out with the bathwater because you can't talk about it because now I've crossed a line. Hmm. So yeah, that's so. Christmas well, that, that, that's yeah, that comes to the topic. So yeah, what about Christmas things? But all these other things, all the other values that you know the, the teacher brings with him or her to the classroom. Right. And we um, were... how what what is the um, I guess the obligation, the responsibility to, as you said at the very beginning, express, explain, um, and not be a, a missionary for those values. Um, and how much are you, I mean, obligation, obligated to, to share? I mean, because that's, that's part of the role, too, of the teacher, right, to share all that, but not impose, um, and how much to hold back. Um, it, it, it's, it's hard. That's a dance. Uh. That's a dance. And we we have to point out as we were talking about earlier that one argument is that especially in Japan teaching english to some degree is a very subversive act just the language itself because in how it goes so much against many of the values i like this idea i like this thought right and so I'll just toss it out there. I mean, we can maybe for those people who are not living in Japan, you know, explain just how English communication is in contradiction to Japanese communications to us. Just in the act of, you know, be explicit, man, spit it out, right? Yeah, it's, is one it's of the basic to- ideas. It's, yeah, it's totally, totally opposite. So why don't you run with that a little, Tony, and explain it since I think yeah, you've got okay. a real good grip on this. Yeah, because um, we, you, if you listen regularly, you, we haven't, I don't think we've done a specific show on it, but a theme that's come up and a thought that's come up 
uh, all over and over is how so much of the English language education system in Japan seems to be seems to have been constructed to prevent English language acquisition. And anybody who teaches here will know exactly what I'm talking about. The system seems to be to prevent it. And if, and and there's a reason, because if you, you know, if, if you're in this, within that system and your definition of Japan and its existence and its essence um, is based on very those very traditional values, then, as, as Charles just said, hell yeah, English is your worst nightmare because it is totally subversive. Um, one of the things that um, when I get to intermediate or advanced classes, I, at very early in the year, I make a point that to, to kind of counter this idea is like, no, when we're teaching English as a foreign language, everything is different. This is not to supplant or to replace your Japanese thinking and your Japanese language and your Japanese. So this is to augment it. This is another thing. And when you learn another language, you are developing another personality. You are developing another communication style, and it's totally different. But it's totally understandable that without them having a deep understanding of this split, this dichotomy itself, that, hell yeah. I mean, uh, uh, if becoming fluent in English and being able to communicate in an f- English language manner, in a style where, as you said, direct confrontation, content over form, all kinds of things that we just assume are natural, <laughs> culture, part of our culture, um, are so many of the things that are so adamantly fought against. They're anti-Japan. It's completely foreign to this culture. And, yeah, it's it's totally subversive. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. And one of the ways maybe to make this more concrete for some people is there's the idea of power index distance okay Mm. power distance index pdi um, made by a guy named hofstetter popularized to some degree by malcolm gladwell in outliers but in japan the difference or the distance and how a subordinate would talk to a superior is quite you know much greater than it is in let's say the united states and teaching people how to do that say okay in the united states you would use you know there'd be a different approach to this you'd be more direct you would say things more directly is a difficult concept but you have to teach it for example as in very similar to what you do you have to have a second personality i say you there's a switch and you have to be able to turn the switch when you're talking with someone in English. You have to turn the switch and change your communication style. And when you're talking to someone in Japanese, you have to do the switch. And when it really becomes clear to me, Tony, about how incredibly subversive it is, is when I'm trying to speak Japanese with, with people. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, you know, it's just, I, you know, after so many years, I still can't get the subtlety down. You know, just the fact is that we speak very directly. And we speak directly, and, and the other part of it is we think directly. Yes, right? and a good example <laughs> is the the grammar structure 
of where we would say, I think or I believe at the beginning of a sentence indicating that it's our opinion. And in Japanese, that comes at the very end. Hmm. The indicator that it's an opinion, right? So, yeah, the thinking style is different. And you, especially if you teach writing, we really see that, right? For example, give me examples. Give me reasons. It's different, different way of thinking, of relating and interacting. So we, I think, are in agreement that just walking into the classroom and once students take our class, that they're going to, there's going to be some kind of cultural imperialism basically taking place. Yes, yeah, and then, and that is our job, and that is our responsibility, that is our obligation, that is what we have to do because there's no way to become fluent in English without those kinds of things. You can get a great vocabulary and get a great command of the, of the grammar, but you're never going to be able to speak, which is a really big problem here. I mean, we have lots of teachers, Japanese teachers of English, who are walking dictionaries. They, they are extremely proficient in vocabulary, can explain grammar points, and will you know, we'll bedevil you with like detailed questions about some very tiny grammatical point but are incapable of having a conversation and we've uh, we've all had this experience with people it's like by the by the third line of exchange you're like get me out of here because this per you, you say something and it's what's heard is completely different from what was intended mm. and it just it, it's a cyclical thing and it just ha and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper uh, because the that cultural component is not there. It's a weird thing. And and we've had the same thing when we try to speak Japanese. Right. But what just went through my head while you were talking is that the only non-subversive way to teach English would actually be the grammar translation method. Good luck. But, but <laughs> I, well, I don't we, think you can do that either. Well, I don't know, right? Because you are reading the material, right? Somebody's being exposed to the material, but that, in the sense, minimizes the amount of, but, you but know, the, the, input, the, the communicative uh, kind of prag, you know. But if you do it sentence by sentence, what you're left with I is junk. I understand. The, trans the translation is going to require that either way, whether you're going from English to Japanese or Japanese to English, the translation itself is going to require incredible cultural sensitivity and awareness. To some degree, but not as much as I think as if you're actually engaging with people. Mm. There's, you know, there's that intellectual okay. academic distance that I think people can maintain that's very difficult to maintain when you're actually engaged with a con in a conversation with a human being across from you. And that brings us to, sorry, you were going to mm. say something there. I heard that inhale. Help <laughs> yeah, me, wound up, get wound up. Um, I teach, uh, uh, I used to teach, I don't teach that much that much anymore, uh, um, writing classes. And one of the things that I have done for my uh, students is taken a translation, it's in, it, from Japanese to English, it's published in one of the Japanese newspapers, and it's a, it's a short editorial. And uh, I use this example all the time in my writing classes. I talk about the dangers. I mean, how difficult translation is. And it's like, well, you know, they, they, it's easy. No, it's much harder. It's an art, and it is extremely difficult. And you, like, as you do the grammar translation thing, you can take sentence by sentence. And if you do that, you come out with nonsense. And I have this from the newspapers something that was translated sentence by sentence almost perfectly. But if you read it in English, 
Now, number one, you get a headache. Number two, you really don't understand what the person is talking about. Uh, because of the, we talked about, re, you talked about re teaching essays and reasons and the structure uh, of an English essay versus the structure of a Japanese essay. And if you just translate it, in English, it really doesn't make sense because we're looking for the meaning inherent in the structure. We're looking for uh, topic sentences. We're looking for supporting facts. This essay goes all over the place, and you don't really... It, the title has nothing to do with anything that's happening. And even by the end, the, it ends in a complete, in a, in a, on a topic that's completely afield from what the essay is supposed to be about. It's something about... The essay was something about... Sounds like my writing. <laughs> economic how economic optimism is Japan's salvation. Starts off with having dinner at, the, uh, at a Norwegian ambassador's house... What kind of he drives to work? Uh, what his wife cooked? Um, these kinds of family values. If we had them in Japan, and then we could be optimistic, and then the economy would be better. And and I says, I'm sure that this in Japanese made perfect sense. And I says, but if you hand something like this in to me, you're going to fail <laughs> because all I'm getting out of this is a headache. I don't understand. And I have one, I, I have the version of the, the essay on, or the editorial, on the webpage, and I have my detailed notes, and I go through it line by line. Okay, this is what, this is what, she, this is what she did. This is what she should be doing. This is this. is If you're going to write an essay in English, this is the way you would have to translate it. Um, yeah, so I'm not so sure. Because I see a, a lot of student essays. <laughs> I don't know that the uh, it's more or less of a problem with spoken communication or written. Well, it, it is in anyway. a certain way. Mm. Um, you know, I think... Well, the effect is more... <laughs> it's more. Uh, it's far more obvious in writing. Right, yeah, when you're and looking at the person face to face. It's amazing how difficult it is to write in a foreign language. Mm. Uh, you know, and I teach writing classes a bunch, so sure. it seems that that's becoming a big part of my teaching load is, is writing classes. Yeah, But trying to, for example... Um, for many students, they have to introduce fact and opinion to give them that they're not used to that idea. But No, they're not. Right. No. So we're having this effect this way. And so just by walking into the classroom, having students sit down and then teaching them English in English and trying to explain how the language works or how, you know, you develop you know, the skills necessary to be able to communicate in English and that the language requires a completely different approach to the way you think and the way you talk and how you explain yourself. So that itself is disruptive. But, oh, sure. Right, but we could also, I think, we need to go into that other part, which is that just by being in the classroom, right, do, okay, if we accept, let me, let me step back for a second, that is just something that you cannot help. If right. you're going to teach students, you have to teach them that. But I think you have to teach them in a way where you say, look, this is a switch you have or a different personality. Not better, not worse. Just works in different situations. But what about something like talking about Fukushima? What about talking about environmental issues? What about talking? Ah, here's a tough one, too, right? Is the fact that Japan is ranked how low in terms of gender equality big by the one. United Nations? It's like big one. Okay, big one. Imagine, or for example, imagine that you're a teacher in India and where they've just you know, illegalized homosexuality. Um, 
how you know if you were teaching in India, how would you handle that in the classroom? Right, right, exactly. So what's what is our right? Or there's two, two questions, right? There's right. What, I mean, who do, we have rights yeah, you gotta, as a teacher. You have obligations as a teacher, and then you have the rights and obligations of the students. And now we get into culture, as well as there are different institutions because there are some institutions that tend to be more conservative, and others that are liberal. And in fact, there are there are schools that have um, a religious basis. Some universities have a religious basis to them. Sure. Yeah, so I teach it a couple. What do, what what should the teacher do? Do you have the right to go? I mean, is there a difference between talking about um, gender equality and religious ideas? You're right. Exactly. And that is the question. You know, so so, I'm, so, yes, I'm throwing example, it to got, you so that you can I've, deal with it. I don't have an answer. Like, yeah, because I can really imagine. Like, well, let's say that I am a conservative Christian and I am a strong Christian. I have strong Christian beliefs and values, uh, and for me, it's not a question of my my religion. It's what's obviously right or wrong. Yes. Ah, I mean that that word gets really hard. And you know, we all, you, I, everybody, um, have some of that. Where of, of course, whatever it is that we believe, we hopefully whatever you believe, you believe is right. <laughs> um, otherwise, you wouldn't believe it, right? I mean, and we all think that we've you know looked at the facts and done the, the the background looked at everything and say okay this is the way i think it is and when you're a teacher um how much of that do you share slash impose slash keep to yourself in the classroom i don't have an answer well um and i i think i don't and i think somehow the what we kind of have to search for and establish is a way to explain that this is what we believe. This is what I tell the class. This is what I think. This is what I believe. And this is why. However, in this culture, um, whether you're just specifically about whatever country you're from or whether you're talking about the English-speaking world in general, um, there are many people who see things this way, see things that way, see things that way, find some common thread, again, which I talked about, like the Christmas example, some common thread where they you can distill that down to the cultural elements that they need to understand in order to communicate effectively in English with native speakers. Because... Frankly, there's a lot of people in my country that I have a really hard time having a conversation with because our base exemptions are so different. Well, that actually brings up the important point, which is that it's not a matter of what people's opinions are. It's learning how to discuss nicely, how, mm. to, how to play nicely with others. Right. And that's my justification for when I bring up these topics to students. If um, something, for example, something in environmental awareness or um, gender issues, for example, come up, then I explain that one of the things you have to get used to is that you have to play nice with people because these topics do come up in America. And in fact, I point out to my students that if you were going through the American education system, the schools would be teaching about cultural diversity the schools would be teaching students about gender equality, being open-minded, like becoming part of a diverse culture. So in one sense, I'm just 
giving them what they would get in the United States. But to deal with this contradiction, because it's right, it's my political opinions, it's my belief systems coming into play here. Um, I use it as an example of saying you have to learn how to play nicely. Which is, I think, also, by the way, our you and I, I think, would agree to, that it's one of the biggest criticisms of contemporary American societies. People don't play nicely when they have different ideas. Mm. They don't respect mm. each other. But, you know, we go back to the thing again. Was Well, you're supposed to be teaching English. What are you talking about gender equality for in the classroom? Mm. How do you deal with that question? Oh, I, I don't have a problem with that. I think um, when we talk about English communication, I think there's some basic assumptions um, that go along with it which include, for example, critical thinking and uh, being able to express one's opinion, being able to defend one's opinion, uh, being able to understand and criticize other people's opinion. That is part and parcel of English communication. This, the, where, we slip, where I slip on my banana peel right now is that, yeah, in a country like Japan, um, that by itself, those are, and everyone says, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. But those are precisely the kinds of things that are so subversive <laughs> in Japanese society because that is not how it works here. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's how I justify it. But I think, I don't know, maybe, and, and I, I'm. Right as as I'm speaking, I'm kind of questioning myself. Well, maybe I'm deluding myself in that. Maybe that's just kind of my convenient rationalization for what I do. Well, I think it's so, it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. Um, I don't think either you or I limit ourselves to just teaching what's in a textbook or teaching the language just by itself. And we know that there's a an immense body of research that points out that just learning the language is not enough, that you need the cultural information, you need the communicative competency, you know, you need to you know, have the practical or pragmatic language to know when to use it and how to use it. And that requires an incredible amount of communicative awareness and knowledge of language. And also people, you know, I justify it. And here's where I kind of slip on my banana too. I think it's a good, <laughs> it's a good image <laughs> I think I'm skating on banana peels is how I feel like that's like my in my GenCon are the banana peels is that if someone goes to the United States and it goes as an exchange student or goes just to travel or to spend time in the United States, people expect you to give an opinion. And there's the old story. I think it's is it the anatomy of dependence by Doi, which I think is one of the classic books looking at uh, Japanese culture and psychology he uses the example where he goes to america for the first time and goes to someone's house and they say what would you like to drink and he explains how shocked he is by this question because in japan the host would just give the guest a drink they would not impose on the guest to make a decision because that would be rude Whereas in the United States, it would be rude for us to give the drink to somebody without asking them, especially, for example, think about a beer or a glass of wine to someone who doesn't drink. Mm. So, again, we're back to what we were talking about is that the cultures have such you know, incredible differences that it's necessary to teach it. They have to get used to the fact that people will give opinions, that people do have opinions, and that you are expected to have an opinion, Right. Absolutely, I think absolutely. Yeah, you know the idea of well, what do you think about 
Um, Whereas the exact, exact opposite is true here. You should not give an well, opinion. Not, you, 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 and if you have one, you, you keep it to yourself. Right, right. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, because you're, especially if you're a guest, and it's like because it might cause trouble. Yes. So what do people talk about? <laughs> do you like white wine? I like white wine too. Television. Um, yeah. The, Maybe that's why the television yeah. is on all the time. Well, that's well, that's part of the television is on all the time, but also in conversation. I mean, again, communication patterns, right? When in Japanese conversation, especially with people who don't know each other well, the goal is not exchange of information. It's just uh, first foremost. Search for consensus. You look for things that you can agree on, whatever it is, whether it's your Nikes, whether it's white wine, whether it's Disney. Um, and that's why, if you know, again, if you take one of the, uh, a conversation, you translate it into English. It doesn't seem to make it, any sense. It's nonsense. It's like this, these, these people are cretins. What you're leaving out, though, is what we can't see. Right. So, is there's this whole other structure that is that completely gets lost when it gets translated in English. It's like, and the goal of that conversation is completely different than ours would be in English. And that's why Charles and I have, have such a hard time functioning here because, you know, we're, we're not really opinionated, hard. guys. We're, we're, think, we're, think, <laughs> we're thinking in English, and we're, it comes out in Japanese, and it's like. Or elephants in a china shop. We're <laughs> just breaking stuff all over the place. It's not so. Yeah, well, I, to- I think I've mentioned that my wife doesn't actually allow me to watch television <laughs> with the family because I'm always commenting on it. So um, that's just to give you an idea about how opinionated I am about things. But I want to kind of move on, Tony, to what may be a concrete example of this. For- and let's use Fukushima. Okay, As, and I got, I've got one after that, too, okay. so if I can, we can remember. Right. I mean, there's a few we could actually use. Now, F- mm. Fukushima, I think, is one of those things where if you provide students with the coverage within Japan, the news coverage within Japan, with the coverage outside of Japan, you get a very, very, very different perspective on what happened. Mm-hmm. And is it you know, right to go in and say to students, because this is something that's affecting their lives. Their futures, mm-hmm. right? Is excuse me, but you know, um, there's a great deal of incompetence going on here. Uh, do you think this was a man-made accident? Is it okay, or should we just say, "I hope everybody's okay. I hope nobody lost any family in Tohoku. Let's get back to class." I am of the opinion that I'm sorry. No, this is an important issue that needs to be addressed. And it has to be addressed in a way that educates my students and informs them that there are, you know, different opinions, but I can't ignore it. So for me, something like Fukushima or environmental issues, increasing students' environmental awareness, those are no-brainers to me. I don't have a problem with that. What about you? Um, no, I have no, obviously, I have no problem with that. And um, the, I think the hard part comes up when... For example, I mean, yeah, environmental issues. Environment is not one of my big buttons. But, yeah, obviously, I mean, there's a, a certain slant that we, we take on it. And um, what uh, the, the, one of the problems that I've had, and this comes up a lot, so I don't know exactly where the kids are finding it, but um, when we do discuss environmental issues, um, inevitably, in, the, in one class or another, uh, a student will bring to class, you know, as, as they're instructed to do uh, from their research, um, something that's been published that um, says that, well, no, this um, the recent climate change, global warming, is not really due to human beings, men, <laughs> human, human, human action, but it's part of the, the natural cycle. And they say, okay, look, I found, and, and they do not exactly what I tell them to do. So they have an opinion, 
you know, they found some information and it backs up their information. It's like, yeah, well, so global warming is not that big of a problem. Uh, what do you do? It's a great, it's a good example. Because then you <laughs> turn really... to them and you say, well, your opinion's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> in this, in, yes, you're right. You found something, this, but in this case, you're wrong and I'm right. Well, yeah, you can't do that, right? Well, that's, I think. <laughs> it, I, I just said, well, I think maybe you need to do a little more research. Who's the source of that? Look at the other, look who's saying what. Look at what 97% of the scientists say rather than this guy. That's a great jumping off point for, okay, I, who's the writer? What's their affiliation? What do you know about mm. the writer? Can people right, write so objectively? Right, it makes another lesson right? on evaluating yes. information. Right? Exactly, exactly. But if it fits into that class, right? But if it's because you just, <sighs> right, and then you've suddenly lost a whole lesson, and now you have to, again, again you have to weigh, what do I do, where do I go? But um, is that the example you were talking about? No. What's the one? The one I, the one I was talking about is, is it's a little bit more... In general, it goes to the, the the bigger question of like the cultural difficulties with the language. Um, and I, I think I might have sent you this article. It's probably about three or four weeks ago, and it it, it uh, underlies the the differences between English and Japanese communication patterns. And this is a uh, Japanese student, a Japanese kid, a returnee. He's uh, you didn't send this to me. He's been spending time. The, the uh, a modesty in Japanese language? No, you didn't Maybe. say that to me. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll make sure I do. Thank you. So he's uh, been studying overseas, and uh, he comes back, and I think he's applying for graduate school in Japan. And uh, in the interview, uh, the, the question was like, well, you've been living you know, overseas. How's your Japanese? And, and they're, they're asking him, in, this is conversation is in Japanese. And he says, how's your Japanese? He says, oh, my Japanese is very good. Fail. Right. <laughs> okay, now, now if you don't live in Japan, that doesn't that. make any sense. But the thing is, is that in Japan, in Japanese conversation patterns, how is your Japanese? The only, <laughs> only acceptable answer is... Terrible. <laughs> it's not very good, but I'm really trying hard. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, my Japanese is terrible, but I'm really trying. To, and by that answer, it expresses the fact that you can speak Japanese. <laughs> it's a real catch twenty two to us, but it is anyone, any Japanese person. It's like that's common sense, right? That's the also ah, the compliment man. function in English versus the compliment function in Japanese, right? Where you say to somebody, oh, you did this really well. And they go, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. You go, yes, you did, yes, you did, yes, you did. And you go back. And in America, that sounds like you're fishing for a compliment. Right. So, okay, so this kid comes back. So we have this difference, right, which is a great one again. But, and again, this just underlies how different the languages are. And just not just grammar and vocabulary or writing system, but how they're completely structured and how... They structure the social interactions and the interactions between people. Um, is it fair to talk about how that will impede you in your daily life? Is it fair to say, for example, how much of the Japanese 
communication style is at the heart of certain issues you guys have. Now there you're kind of treading on a really interesting place, don't you think? Mm, mm, I think this mm. is where we want to kind of go a little bit is get a little edgier here just, you know, and um, for me, it's an exploration. I don't know, right? I, my my wife, when we were at the beginning of our relationship and we were trying to decide should we speak Japanese or should we speak English with each other, my wife's suggestion was that we should speak English, and I asked her why, and she said, because it's easier to fix problems in English. We're just like, okay, I see you already predicting we'll have problems. <laughs> I thought it was just a language comment, but there's a certain truth to that, mm-hmm. that it's easier to turn to somebody and say, Excuse me, I think that idea is wrong. And here's just a little aside to things that here's an an example of how English and Japanese are really different. In English, when you criticize a person's ideas, you're criticizing their ideas. You're criticizing them. But here, it's... Not only their ideas, you're criticizing them personally. not Not in English. No, no, in Japanese. Right, in Japanese. Oh, I, I, I thought you said... No, no I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, I confused. Yeah. We're obviously not communicating here, and we should definitely take a course in communication. What I'm saying exactly is that in Japanese, a criticism of an idea is a criticism of the person. It's taken personally. Right. Right. Whereas right. for right. us, right. it's not taken personally. It's like, that's my idea. Oh, right. And they're separated. So that's an important thing to realize that underpins so much of what's going on here. But is it fair to say, excuse me, but, you know... How much of a problem is occurring is because of language and the customs. You can't change the language so much, but customs and values can be changed. We've seen that in a lot of different countries where things have changed. But is it okay to present that to the students and say, I'm sorry, but to some degree, your language is not going to allow you to interact with people from different cultures really effectively. And of course, we're saying that the dominant culture is America. It goes very differently when you go to other Asian countries, which mm-hmm. you know tend to have maybe some similar kinds of perspectives and viewpoints in terms of face, for example. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. is it fair to say, I'm sorry, in terms of problem solving, mm-hmm. you guys might need a little bit of work on this. I am blessed in that um, I have uh, some fairly advanced students and not the same thing, but also pretty intelligent students. And um, at this particular university, um, I have been overjoyed to um, have uh, students who, you know, and with, with, with these students, I do address these kinds of things quite often in class. Um, and I and uh, very pleasantly surprised when they had students have come back to me and talked about and at the end kind of a wrap up of the year and things and they said well you know we noticed that discussing these topics in English is we can do it in English and it's easier in English but we wouldn't be able to do this in mm. Japanese I'm like oh <laughs> you know we warm a teacher's heart right it's right. like. Yeah, and I says, and, then, and I says, and that's you know, I, of course, encourage like yeah, that's really important because, and by the same thing, there's a lot of things that we do in English that you really can't do in Japanese, and they got it immediately. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, right. Um, but they were very happy with themselves being able to say, well, yeah, you know, we, I can, I can say these kind, of, we can do these things in English. I'd have a really hard time doing this in Japanese, and it's like, okay, this was successful. Yes. This was good. Yeah. But and and that, and that's. I guess that's part of it, um, and you know, with 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 these students, yeah, I'm 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 getting it together. It's that in between part that really gets hard. 
I think. You know, with a little bit lower level, like intermediate level and things like how much is enough and how much is too much. Um, am I, how, it, it, again, that role of the teacher, unconsciously sometimes, how much am I imposing my own worldview on these kids? Mm-hmm. Um, That's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. It's like, and Well, talk about imposing worldview. I demand that my students tell me when they don't understand talk about demand imposing a totally different <laughs> conception of the world right go into the class teach them how to say i'm sorry please say that again you know um well you can demand it you get them to do it um can you tell me how <laughs> this is every teacher's band i'm not um i got some ideas actually that i'm going to try next year after all these years i did do something a few real long time ago where I assigned colors to different groups of students and if they didn't understand they would say red and if they didn't understand they'd say green etc but then you had to call out every minute or so colors please Um, that's not the idea that's not the point but Mm -hmm. to say that I think we both after so many years of teaching still struggle with getting students to say I can you say that again I didn't understand um, that's just not part of their culture. They're, Correct. Although I have gone to an elementary school <laughs> on like an open house day when my daughter was having elementary school, and mm. this teacher asked a question. Now, maybe the teacher had trained the students to do this. I don't know. But the students were all like jumping up and down going, oh, sensei, sensei, me, me. I have the answer. I have the answer. And then I went back to you know teach my university students like the next day, and I said, what happened to you? Right? You know, that the idea of a student that – Okay, here's a big cultural difference. We have the belief as educators that the best students ask questions. The best students tell you when they don't understand. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, there's you know, this. Yeah, this is this, this is, is yeah. but for sure here. That's not what the best student does. Total, total different definitions of what a good student, what a bad student right, and this, is. We, I mean, we're not even going to go. The whole classroom dynamic is completely right. topsy-turvy. Right. And we're not even going to get into the educational issues there. So just by, again, demanding that my students tell me and teaching them, tell me you don't understand, tell me to repeat, et cetera, et cetera, is, again, imposing a very different worldview on them. So, sure. and, and, and it's very confusing for them because, you know, they've got to, in their own minds, they've got to then start to build and hold all these different operational models for all these different teachers at all these different expectational modes. So you're teaching them to speak out and ask questions, and they go from your class to a, another class, right. and they ask a question, and the teacher like comes down on okay. them for being disrespectful. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's it. <laughs> and, okay, let's go back and talk about um, women's issues. Oh, a good one. Right. Is it fair to talk about the fact that there's... That's a real good one. There are problems with how women are treated in this country can we talk about that in the classroom is it fair well i teach topics classes so it comes up a lot and we talk about different you know we talk about work and we talk about you know the work world in japan work world overseas we talk specifically about um gender issues we specifically talk about um discrimination of various kinds Mm. so it comes up a lot Mm. um and uh, again, I explain it's like in Japan, this is the way it seems, and this, and you know, statistics, blah blah blah. This is the way it is in other countries. But then, um, f- 
for example, the, the hard part. Okay, so, so yeah, I, I discuss it all the time, and I explain this is what I see, and this is what I think, and uh, then you'll have a female student say, well, we don't, a female student in Japan says, well, there really isn't any sexual discrimination in Japan. Right. And I, I, I don't know how to react to that. Hmm. Because you've got, they kind of understand the concept of discrimination, um, but actually being able to Man, yeah, this is really hard part. You know, get outside of one's own culture and look at it from another perspective and how it might look to somebody else. Um, how hard do you push for that? How do you, you know, are you creating a problem that isn't there? Um, just because to us as Americans, it looks like discrimination. Again. Slippery, slippery, right? To us, you know, yeah, this is discrimination. But if you're in Fallujah, <laughs> little, little, you know, Kyoto uh, <laughs> or Abu Dhabi, um, what do you do? Mm. I do. It's, it's a. This is a tough one. This is really tough. I mean, yeah. I mean, you. you we're Do dancing around the edge of cult, right? cultural relativism here, but I, yeah, it's really tough. Well, there is that issue of cultural relativism, and mm. that's different from moral relativism, and the two often get conflated. There is a need to respond. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, I, I, they're kind of mixed together, but there are some differences. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, of course. Moral relativism and cultural relativism. And there are issues. Um, I mean, it's just, it's a difficult, difficult thing. But you're talking about what do you do when um, a student, let's say, and I think I know exactly what you're talking about, where the student says, no, there really isn't no discrimination, gender discrimination in Japan. I can go to college, and then after college, I can get married and live the life I want to live. I think that's kind of the the situation you're talking about mm. and what do you do as a teacher is then of course the conversation moves on to choice and issues but i try to always throw it back to the data let's see what data is available let's look at it as objectively as possible um, because it's hard because i have a daughter who's growing up in japan and i would hope that she would have better opportunities more equality so in that situation I ask the students to look at, okay, how many women are company presidents? What's the hiring practices of company? Where does Japan rank in terms of management? Number of people, women managers, for example, senior level managers. And we say, okay, so if you look at it from a data point of view, a statistical point of view, it looks like there is some kind of inequality. And I think it's important also, Tony, if we phrase the question in terms of discrimination versus inequality, Good point. Because discrimination nice. always raises people's hackles. And I can get people to see discrimination if... And it, it implies volition. I mean, it implies some kind of willful act, right? It is an action, or, right. whereas inequality is a, is a result. And it's it's less value-laden. And I can get people mm. to... See, here it is. I'm manipulating people because I'm about to say that I can get people to understand that there's discrimination if I can get them to see that there's inequality based in numbers. 
if they can mm. see the stats. So there's there's an agenda there, mm. right? Mm. But mm. I would also say that I don't think my agenda would be very different as an educator in the United States than it would be anywhere else, which is I'm an educator, exposing my students to different ideas, um, teaching them that there are different ways to think, teaching them critical thinking is underlies all my teaching. But I also, if I find myself giving an opinion, I try to very clearly say to them, by the way, I have to admit I'm biased. These are my biases. And I explain that uh, politically where I stand and that these are my biases and that they need to learn to do that. But as an educator, you know, this is why we didn't address the issue at the beginning, <laughs> right? Mm. Which is that we have certain responsibilities. And most of the people I know who are educators are trying to help students reach their full potential and become the best people possible. Mm. Now, you try to take the values out of that. How do we do that? Because as you said, depending on where you're teaching, what's a good human being? Uh, yeah, but the best people possible. I mean, what does that mean? Right. right. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a similar outcome. I mean, you just kind of run around in circles. and Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. But um, it's, a, it's a great summation is that, yeah, that as an educator, right, you try to, as, as you just said, come to terms with and understand what your own biases are might be communicate those to the people that you're trying to teach and then educate um give the knowledge not information the knowledge uh, put it in context encourage their own investigation into all these things and encourage them that to form their own opinions based on their own values the information they find and the knowledge that you are sharing with them um I don't think you can get any closer or better than that. Mm. Yes, yeah, it's just a good point. Yeah, I, but I would sit back and say, give them the data, give them tools to process the data, and then help them come to their opinions. Because even if the student has an opinion that's different than yours, you have to recognize it. Mm. And that in itself is incredibly valuable, that the student realizes that the teacher has an opinion. You see, here's the value of when students know your opinion and that one student says, I'm sorry, this is my opinion. And you say, we have the right to disagree. I understand this is your opinion. You formulated it properly. You have data that backs it up. You've thought carefully and deeply about it. And this is the conclusion you've reached. A beautiful educational opportunity. But they might not be the answer I was hoping for. <laughs> but that's part of being right, an Right, but that's not, yeah. That's, but that's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. And that and then I think that maybe is like another key point of this is like, yeah, that is actually yeah, that is definition like, yeah, you're not supposed to use your position as a teacher to do that. I mean, it's it's fine if you don't like what their conclusions are. That that's their conclusion. That's what they did and that's what they learned and I think that's a sign that you're done what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I, to, no, I'm not, I'm not going to use that mission accomplished thing. Blah, 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 blah. But anyway, I think you consider yourself. Mission impossible. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a job well done. Yes, and then that's where the learning. So I guess in wrap-up, in one sense, is that if the students can feel that they can voice their opinions or have their opinions that are different from what the teacher's opinions are and that they feel comfortable and the teacher has created that kind of environment in the classroom 
where students will give their opinions even if they disagree with the teacher or will ask the teacher to justify their opinions, you've created a pretty good educational environment. Yeah, as long as they don't do that with another teacher. That, <laughs> Hi, and this is Charles Wiz. <laughs> move on from that one. Yes, that's again, but that's Matsumoto Sensei. I wonder which of you could like defend that because I don't. I'm not sure that the facts back up your opinion. And then, the, the, and then the teacher turns to the student and says, "Ah, you're Tony Silva's student, aren't you? Or you've taken Charles's class, haven't you?" I've actually had that happen. Oh, good for you. Yes, but again, the importance of <laughs> from, from from my Western perspective, a success. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I think we're in agreement that it's okay to introduce things, but you have to be really careful. But I don't, I I don't do any religious stuff though. That I think is a different issue. But we can always get into that at another time. But yeah, I, leave maybe, a tickler yeah, at the end to talk about yeah the the, the missionary in the classroom. Right. Okay, so it's holiday season, Tony. Coming back to that, hmm. right? Yeah, and so we're taking a break. A break. Do we, we deserve a break? A break? Uh, I don't know about you, bud. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know I if I deserve do. one, but I need one. <laughs> so we will be gone for a couple of weeks. When are we coming back? Um, I think we will be back on the... Now you notice I asked Tony these questions. He yeah. does the logistics. First week of January, yeah. right? And the first week of January about. So it would actually be the second week. It would be on the 11th. Okay. Ah, that is, yes, of course, no matter right. what you would do, that would always be the second week of January. Right. <laughs> I, I know mentally for us it's the first week. Right. The, the first, first week because it's the first week back first from real, school. First real week back. Right. So look for, yeah, look for us on January 11th. Okay. So I'm going to enjoy my break. I'm going to get a lot of reading done that I want to do. A lot of fiction. I'm hoping to read a lot. Into reading short stories right now, so I'm looking forward to that. How about mm. you? Sleeping. Um, <laughs> I haven't. I haven't had a th- time to think about what I'm going to do. But I, whatever, whatever I do, it's going to be great. It's, it's going to be wonderful. When it gets here, it's going to be wonderful. Okay. All right. So we are two teachers talking. I'm Charles Wiz and Tony Silva. And you can find us at twoteacherstalking.com. Two teachers talking at gmail.com. And two teachers talking on iTunes. We're also available and, on and Skype. Skype as well. Yeah. And uh, I wish you a happy holiday season. And Merry Christmas. And Happy New Year and Yo Yo Toshio. Han- Hanukkah is over. Huh? Right? Happy New Year in Japan, too. Hanukkah's finished. Kwan- is there any other? Um... Kwanzaa. Yeah. Happy. yeah. Isn't it great? And, it's uh, just great. Happy, happy solstice. It's, it's, and one of the best parts of this is that. New Year's in Japan is one of the times where Japan gets really quiet. Almost everybody takes it easy. It's the only time during mm. the year where actually everybody takes it easy. It's very, very There will quiet. be no emails from work. Streets are empty. Yes, yes. I do. Trains are I love that. I go on January 1st in the morning, I'll go to downtown Osaka. And it's like, it's like one of those uh, movies where, you know, everybody's been, like, removed from the planet. It's freaky. Mm. It is it like is that. It's incredible. very sci-fi. I love that. Okay, well... Until we're, we're going to enjoy it. Yeah, and until that time, I'm going to get back to work. So, okay, so yeah, uh, happy new year. Happy new year, Tony. Bye. <laughs>